You're not in this story. Yeah, well, we're making it up as we go. Hello and welcome to Making It Up As We Go, a Destiel fan fiction anthology podcast. We're making it up as we go. I'm your host and reader, Nerdy Nerdenstein. The story is ours now. You can't have it back. Please be warned that the stories featured can and will contain explicit sexual content and is not intended for young audiences. Hello. Today, I'll be reading Cupcakes and Kittens, chapters 3 and 4, written by Mandala Rose. The rating for this fic is explicit. The pertinent tags for this fic include Alternate Universe, Coffee Shops and Cafes, Baker Dean Winchester, Reluctant Kitten Owner Dean Winchester, Cat Rescuer Castiel, Two-Person Love Triangle, Online Meeting, Online Flirting, Confidently by Dean, Openly Gay Castiel, Mentions of Past Canonical Character Death, Fluff and Angst, Pining, Slow Burn, Fraudage, Masturbation, Hand Kink, No kittens come to harm in this story. Chapter 3. Cream Butter and Sugar in a Large Mixing Bowl Until Light and Fluffy Smelling something burning, Dean quickly turns around, scanning the small kitchen workstation he shares with one of his fellow baking class students. Each workstation has a shared refrigerator and sink, a double oven, and two stovetops, the second of which happens to be where the smell of scorched flour and butter is coming from. White, which is admittedly better than black, smoke pours out of the bubbling pan on the cooktop as its wannabe chef looks on in dismay. Dark brows furrow in apparent consternation on a face that somehow looks all the more attractive for it. Dean has to stifle a grin at the striking chef-to-be as he jerks the smoking pan off the heat while swearing in a gravelly baritone and glaring at the ingredients spread haphazardly across his countertop as if they've betrayed him. Truth be told, Dean's been tempted to offer his help to the guy several times throughout their first baking class together, and not just so he can see if the arms hidden away by that impractical, long-sleeved button-down look as muscular up close as they do from a distance, but he doesn't want to come off as some asshole know-it-all. The poor guy is clearly out of his depth, though, he looked increasingly alarmed as Missouri walked them through each step of preparing pâte à choux at the beginning of class. Dean had thought the dude was going to stroke out when she explained that rather than just adding a set number of eggs to the choux paste, 
They would instead need to watch the texture and consistency of the mixture to ensure that they've added the right amount. You want your paste to have a smooth, even consistency that leaves a V on your spatula if you let it drip off. The yolk should give it a rich, light yellow shade, but if it starts to turn orange, you've added one too many, so be careful before you add that last egg, Missouri warned. If it's got the right consistency, but is still a little on the pale side, you can whisk up that last egg separately and add as much as feels right to you. As Dean started dicing butter and measuring flour for the beginnings of his shoe paste, he had heard muttering from the dark, tousle-haired head behind him. I thought baking was a science, not a Bob Ross painting. Dean snickered, but not wanting to come across as a creeper, had kept to his side of their shared workspace and tried to keep his eyes on his own cooking and not the perfectly rounded backside of the man working at the next stovetop. Now, though, he's pretty sure he'll be even more of an asshole if he doesn't intervene before his kitchen mate burns down half the building. Dean's just finished mixing in his eggs one at a time until the mixture in his bowl turned into a smooth golden-yellow paste with the consistency Missouri had explained earlier. But the glowering man on the other side of the kitchen has barely made it past the first step, boiling water. Actually, it looks as if he'd managed to boil the water and melt the butter okay, with trouble starting when he added the flour to begin forming the paste that would have become the patachou dough. You forgot to turn the heat down, Dean says over the man's frustrated muttering, trying to ignore the fact that this dude somehow makes swearing at pastry dough sound sexy as hell. I, oh, comes the disgruntled response as Gravel Voice glances at Dean and then quickly looks away to turn the dial for his burner down from the high setting he'd used for boiling the water and butter to the medium-low it needs to be for cooking the flour paste. He and Dean both stare at the scorched pan, Crispy brown lumps of flour sitting in far too little oily water now that much of it has boiled away. This isn't salvageable, is it? Gravel Voice asks Dean sadly, finally drawing his eyes up from the shoe disaster in front of him. And holy shit are those eyes blue. Trying desperately to forget the fact that he's always been an absolute sucker for blue eyes. And that's just regular blue eyes, not eyes that look like they should be surrounded by palm trees and untouched white sand beaches. Dean clears his throat. Probably not if you actually plan to eat it later, but uh, mine's finished, so if we work together, we can get your pastry made before it's time to go on to the next step. The words come out in a rush, and Dean focuses every bit of his mental energy on not blushing like the hopeless idiot he is. Oh. Oasis' eyes widen. That's very kind of you, but you don't have to. Hey, it's no problem, really. We're supposed to taste one another's final product, so consider it an act of self-preservation. Dean's joke startles a laugh out of Blue Eyes, who gestures to his countertop. Well, when you put it like that, I suppose it would be horribly rude of me to refuse your help and condemn you to my cooking. I'm Castiel. Castiel stretches out his hand for Dean to shake. Dean, he answers with a grin, shaking hands and making his way over to the cutting board, where he starts dicing up more butter while Cass measures out new flour for the shoe. Dean tries not to backseat bake too much, 
but he can't help but cut in at a few crucial points, if for no other reason than to keep them from ruining another of the cooking class's pans. Whoa, Cass, good job remembering to turn the heat down, but you're still going to want to move the pan to another burner before you add the flour to give this one a chance to cool down. His kitchen mate arches an eyebrow, but he seems more amused than put out as he follows Dean's advice. Cass? Hey, it's not my fault your name's such a mouthful. By the time I'd gotten the whole thing out, your paste would have been ruined again. Unfortunately, we can't all be blessed with straightforward, single-syllable names. Though, he tilts his head consideringly, Cass is actually one of the better nicknames I've been christened with. I think I like it. Oh, yeah? What's the worst, then? Cassie. Hands down. It's what most of my family calls me. It was cute when I was four, but it's been a source of contention ever since. Ooh. Dean hisses. Yeah, that's rough. My first girlfriend was named Cassie, so you definitely don't need to worry about me calling you that. Don't need any reminders there. Cass it is. Dean watches Cass's face carefully at that revelation, and is fairly certain he's not imagining the hint of disappointment when he mentions Cassie's name. Ah, I take it things didn't end well. Not so much, Dean elaborates casually. She noped the fuck out when she found out I was by. Cass's eyebrows raise slightly before he brings them back under his control, and the look of disappointment is replaced by something half-relieved and half-intrigued. Okay, so announcing his sexuality by way of ex-girlfriend is definitely not the smoothest move Dean's ever pulled. But in his defense, he's really out of practice. Besides, it's not like he has any intention of hooking up with the guy he has to cook beside for the next 12 weeks. It's just nice to be appreciated is all. Even if it's not going anywhere. And to know he won't get throat punched for returning said appreciation, of course. I'm sorry to hear that. People can be very unkind. Yeah, we were 17, Dean explains with a wave. Just kids. And kids are assholes. Hopefully she's grown out of it. I think it's time to switch it to the mixing bowl and start beating in the eggs. After getting him started, Dean leaves Cass carefully adding one egg at a time as instructed and brings his own dough over to Cass's side of the workstation so they can keep working side by side. I suppose you don't have to worry about people shortening your name, Cass comments, kindly shifting the conversation away from Dean's overshare and back to their previous topic. You'd think, Dean says with a snort, but some people still try. I've had a few try to call me D, but I hate it. Cass fumbles the egg he's about to crack, ending up smashing it into the side of the mixing bowl with a wet crunch instead of the gentle tap Dean's sure he was aiming for. That's unfortunate, he says as he picks bits of eggshell out of his shoe paste and Dean's not sure if he's talking about the nickname Joe and Sam used to tease him with or his current egg situation. Once Cass pronounces his shoe paste as Bob Ross yellow as it's going to get, Dean sets him to work lining two baking sheets with parchment paper as he prepares the piping bags. You seem to have done this before. Cass comments as he watches Dean pour his mixture into one of the piping bags before carefully copying him. Uh, yeah, I grew up baking with my mom. She loved it. Don't think I've ever made pâte à choux before. But I've made puff pastry and piped icing and stuff. 
He glances at Cass's piping bag as he sets down his mixing bowl. Now hold the bag with the tip up like this, Dean demonstrates, and squeeze all the air out. He then shows Cass how to carefully pipe the little circles of batter that will hopefully bake into light and fluffy pastry puffs. It takes Cass several false starts to get the hang of piping, including a trapped air incident that results in shoe spatter all over his baking sheet and requires a fresh sheet of parchment paper. When he finally finishes, he glares between his shoe blobs of various sizes and shapes, some looking distinctly more oblong than round, and Dean's evenly spaced, perfectly circular dollops. Dean nudges him. Don't worry about it. Practice makes perfect. I've never baked before, Cass points out needlessly. You don't say, Dean answers, unsuccessfully fighting a grin. Cass narrows his eyes, and Dean's grin widens. If you aren't really a beginner, why are you taking a baking 101 course? He asks, and Dean shrugs sheepishly. He's about to respond when Missouri calls out, Looking good, bakers. Now, before you put those puffs in the oven, don't forget to brush your shoe paste with a dorure. You can use milk or water for your dorure, but whichever you choose, make sure to mix it thoroughly so that the puffs will come out a nice, even golden brown. Half of professional baking is presentation. That's why, Dean says to Cass, nodding toward Missouri. Because fancy-ass chefs have to use words like dorure instead of just calling it an egg wash. I might know some of the basics, but I don't know all that professional terminology. Or all the science behind it, he adds, as Missouri launches into an explanation about how the three-step baking process is going to cause the puffs to rise, even without the use of a leavening agent. Hmm. Cass hums in acknowledgement, as Missouri describes how the high heat of the oven will cause the liquid in their paste to quickly evaporate, the resulting steam bubbling up and forcing the pastry to rise. They place their baking sheets into the double oven, Cass's tray going on top, while Dean slides his into the bottom and resolutely does not smirk and blush at any and all lame baking euphemisms because he is a grown-up, thank you very much. They chat idly as they clean their workstations and wait for their first timer to beep, at which point they'll drop the temperature down from 425 degrees Fahrenheit to 375, so the pastries can finish baking without burning from the high heat. They work companionably, splitting the cleanup duties before tackling the dishes together. Cass washes their pans and mixing bowls. The burnt pan takes a little bit of elbow grease, but does eventually return to its previously unscorched state. While Dean dries, then they each return their dishes to their respective cabinets on either side of the miniature kitchen. When the second timer beeps, Cass drops their oven temperatures further, to 300 degrees Fahrenheit, so the pastries can finish drying out and crisping up. Now, don't be too disappointed if you don't end up with the perfect patachou your first time out of the gate, Missouri counsels them. This class isn't just about measuring out ingredients and following a recipe. You're here to learn how to rely on your senses and develop your baker's intuition. To learn why and how the steps in a recipe come together to produce something new and delicious instead of just assuming that they will. 
Patashu is the perfect pastry to begin teaching you that, but it will take time and practice to hone your sixth sense in the kitchen. And you'll definitely get another chance to practice with this dish, since next class we'll be making more patashu and combining it with pastry cream to make delicate cream puffs and elegant eclairs. Dean thinks that's probably sage advice, as they move their baking sheets from the oven and begin using toothpicks to poke holes in the pastries, allowing the remaining pent-up steam to vent. Cass is looking more than a little discouraged as he takes in the flat pat patties on his baking sheet and compares them to Dean's pristine puffs. Dean bites a lip to hold in his chuckle at his kitchen mate's disgruntled expression. He looks personally offended by the pastries in front of him, as if they deliberately refused to rise just to make him look bad. But damn, Dean would deflate too under a look like that. Hoping that Cass's puffs taste better than they look, Dean takes a deep breath and claps the man on the shoulder before picking up a cooling disc. Dean, you really don't have to. Cass starts, but Dean's already popping the pastry into his mouth. I have no idea what you did to keep them from rising, but they actually don't taste half bad. Dean says honestly, around a mouthful of pastry. A little chewy, but still tasty. Cass frowns disbelievingly, but doesn't argue. Instead, he picks up a puff from Dean's tray and takes a careful bite. This is delicious, Dean. I can't wait to taste it with the addition of pastry cream. You definitely aren't a beginner. Dean blushes a bit at the praise, but resists the urge to brush it off as Cass helps himself to another puff. He's not sure what's going through the other man's head as he watches Dean thoughtfully, but Dean can feel his resolve to not jump into bed with his hot classmate already crumbling. He does decide, however, that he at least needs to wait until the end of their class. That way they aren't trapped here together if things don't work out. Cass licks shoe crumbs from his fingertips, humming happily. It's going to be a long 12 weeks. Letting himself into his brother's apartment, Castiel stretches tiredly, feeling the stray shoe paste that had missed his white class apron stretch and crackle on the sleeve of his button-down. Perhaps this wasn't the most practical shirt for baking, but he really hadn't known what to wear. At the shop, most of the staff wear black t-shirts underneath neon green or pink aprons emblazoned with the sweet bean logo. As store manager, Castiel wears the apron, but with a solid black button-down underneath. He figured he would dress similarly for the class, since these are clothes he'll theoretically be baking in for work. Very theoretically, if today's class is anything to go by. Castiel feels only slightly vindicated that he's turned out to be just as much of a baking disaster as he'd anticipated. Mostly, He's too busy feeling equal parts exhausted and embarrassed over his hopeless culinary display in front of an incredibly attractive kitchen mate. Dean. Castiel tosses his keys onto the stand Gabe keeps next to the door just for this purpose, not that he ever remembers to use it himself. The number of times Castiel has watched his brother search the entire apartment for his keys 
only to find them somewhere completely unexpected. The freezer, under the sofa, in the shower, and still in the door, to name a few, would be astounding if it were anyone but Gabe. With Gabe, however, the unexpected is, well, expected. Shoes squeaking on the shiny hardwood, Castiel sets his carry-out bag on the large granite-topped island that takes the place of a dining room table and divides the kitchen from the open living space. Gabriel's apartment isn't overly large, but what it lacks in size it makes up for in high-end appliances and decor. It's fortunate for Gabe that the coffee shop, which is barely breaking even at the moment, isn't his only source of income. His brother also owns a small chain of ice cream shops that have been successful enough to expand throughout the Sioux Falls area and several surrounding towns, serving up freshly made ice cream created from local dairy sources and natural ingredients. Strawberry ice cream with real chunks of strawberry, raspberry cheesecake with fresh raspberries and swirls of creamy goat cheese, and a honey vanilla made with local honey, Castiel's personal favorite are a few of his big sellers. Looking around the empty apartment, Castiel wonders if his brother is actually at one of his ice cream shops now, or if he's on a date. Never mind that it's a Tuesday. Gabe has never understood why people try to relegate romance, and, more accurately, sex, to the weekends. Of course, Gabe has also never had a job that requires him to wake up before 9 a.m., Sitting down at one of the bright red bar stools that provide a splash of color against the dark wood and white granite, Castiel pulls his Greek salad out of the brown paper bag. After helping himself to several of Dean's delicious pastries, he decided he'd better stick to something light and healthy for dinner, especially since he's eating much later than he's accustomed to. Getting up at four in order to make it to the coffee shop by five every morning means that dinner and bed are usually much earlier for him than most adults in their late twenties. A class that runs from five to eight in the evenings is great for the nine-to-five crowd, but definitely isn't the most convenient for his schedule. However, he thinks as he takes his first bite of Kalamata olive and red onion, it might just pay off in the long run. He can't help but remember how fluidly Dean moved around their shared kitchen space, and not just because of how damn good he looked doing it. And he certainly did look good. Trying to calm his nerves while secreting glances at the baker's backside as he worked is almost certainly why Castiel ended up burning his own shoe mixture to begin with. It's hard to feel too sorry about that, however, when it's what brought Dean over to him. In addition to strong, broad shoulders and bow legs that immediately filled Castiel's head with cowboy fantasies he'd never even knew he had, Dean possesses stunning green eyes, long, luxurious lashes, and full, pouty lips that have no business being attached to a face with such a strong, masculine jawline. Castiel had barely been able to look at him in the face when Dean appeared at his side prompting him to turn the heat down on his cooktop. It was like looking into the sun. And Dean's later revelation that he's bisexual certainly hadn't helped quell Castiel's attraction. Shaking himself as he finishes the last few bites of his salad, 
Castiel refocuses on what is actually important about his interactions with Dean this evening. The man can bake. True, they've only had one class so far, but the ease with which Dean moved around their workstation and the way he instinctively seemed to know when something was the right temperature or that the puffs needed just another minute to finish browning spoke to far more baking experience than the man was letting on. Plus, he was easy to work with, easy to be around. Dean had directed him kindly and effortlessly, never making Castiel feel bad about his subpar skills, easily dividing their labor, and creating an efficient workflow between the two of them. Those are skills that would be an asset in any workplace and would be especially helpful when integrating a new business component into an existing model. Castiel will have to watch Dean carefully, professionally speaking, of course, over these next few weeks, but he's got a strong feeling that he's not going to be any less impressed with Dean's assets as time goes on. Hiring Dean seems like a much better plan than the absolutely insane idea that Castiel could ever bake anything fit to sell at the Sweet Bean. Placing his takeout trash in the bin, Castiel sighs. He's getting ahead of himself. Of course, none of this matters if Dean isn't actually looking to start a career in baking. For all Castiel knows, he might already have his own booming business, or maybe he already bakes for a local restaurant and just wanted to learn more of the professional jargon of his trade as he demonstrated with the Dorur. And that's not to mention the other problem, that if Castiel hires Dean, he'll have to let go of his burgeoning fantasies of pretty bow-legged cowboys waking up in his... Well, perhaps he's putting the cart ahead of the horse there as well. It's not like he could bring Dean home to the air mattress in his brother's living room anyways. He's better off hiring Dean and saving his current place of business so that maybe someday he'll be able to afford an apartment and bed of his own again. Flopping down on the white sofa that's been shoved to the back of the wall of the living room to make space for the full-size air mattress, Castiel finally pulls his phone out of his pocket, face lighting up with a tired smile as he sees a waiting message from Dee. He grins for a moment, remembering Dean talking about how he hates when people shorten his name that way. He wonders idly what D might stand for. David? Daniel? Denny? He frowns at that last one. He's not sure why, but he hopes it's not Denny. That name just doesn't seem to set right with him for some reason. Looking down at the message from D, he finds himself smiling again. Hey, wanted to let you know I thought about what you said. About making a change or whatever and going for my dream job. And, uh, yeah, kind of took your advice. So thanks. That's wonderful to hear, Dee. I'm very happy for you. I hope it works out. As he types out his response, Castiel wonders what Dee's change is, but he doesn't feel like they're at a point where he can ask. They've both been pretty vague regarding the day-to-day -day details of their lives and work. Even though Castiel can now name Dee's three favorite movies, knows that his favorite film genre is horror, his favorite author is Vonnegut, and that he loves classic rock, especially Led Zeppelin. He's more than a little surprised to discover that he and Dee, someone who had been a complete stranger just a couple of weeks ago, 
and is still such a mystery in so many ways, starting with what he even looks like, have become fast friends. It's undeniable, though. Though Dee still talks about the kitten he's fostering frequently, it's more to share funny stories of the little fuzzball's antics than to ask about how to care for her. His phone buzzes again. Well, it's nothing yet. Not really. Just taking a class. Trying to figure out if it's something I can actually do, you know. But it's a step. Every journey starts with a single step. Getting poetic on me, CJ? Castiel immediately winces at the cliched expression. Very smooth, Novak. He's sure that's just the kind of meaningless platitude his friend is looking for. He thinks about his abysmal adventures in baking this evening, and wonders if he should share them with Dee. His friend might get a good laugh about Castiel's kitchen foibles. Dean certainly did, though he tried to hide it, and Castiel could tell the man was laughing with him more than at him. Dean seems like one of those people who just naturally includes everyone in the joke, making sure no one feels left out or singled out. One more check in the convince the cowboy baker to let himself be hired column. Hardly. Poetry is one of many skills I do not possess. That's okay. I'm sure you've got plenty of other skills. He follows this message with a winking emoji. Castiel blinks. Was... was that a flirtation? Is D flirting with him? He takes a moment to parse out how he feels about that, and surprisingly, finds that he doesn't mind. Maybe it's having spent the evening making a fool of himself in the presence of someone as attractive as Dean, but the thought that someone actually finds Castiel worthy of flirting with feels rather nice. He must be taking too long to respond, though, judging by the sudden flurry of messages appearing in succession on his screen. Uh, sorry about that. Just joking around. Sorry if I made you uncomfortable. Fuck. Apparently my brain-to-text filter is just as shitty as my brain-to-mouth one. Seriously, sorry if I offended you. Okay, I'll just stop replying and go crawl under a friggin' rock now. As quickly as he can, Castiel types out a response to quell D's spiraling. He bites his lip, wondering what D will make of it. D. Please calm down. There's no need to crawl anywhere. I'm not offended. You aren't? Some strange guy on the internet flirts with another guy without invitation? Not trying to tell you how to live your life, man, but that should probably raise a red flag or six. Castiel rolls his eyes. He types out his response, hitting send after each one to emphasize his points. First... I certainly hope you don't still consider us strangers at this point. Second, the fact that we're both men shouldn't be offensive, even if I were straight, but since I'm gay, it most assuredly doesn't bother me. Third, so that was a flirtation? It takes Dee a moment to type back, and Castiel starts to get nervous. What if Dee hadn't actually intended his words as a flirtation, and his comment meant that he thought Castiel should feel offended that another man was flirting with him. It would be terribly disappointing to learn that the man he thought was becoming a friend is a homophobic asshole. His stomach twists uncomfortably as his phone buzzes with Dee's response. 
maybe? Shameless flirt is kind of my default mode. Honestly, it's pretty surprising it took me this long to stick my foot in my mouth. Castiel feels equal parts relieved and disappointed. So D isn't a homophobe, but his flirtation wasn't necessarily directed at Castiel either. Just a reflexive response. It makes sense. What had he expected? That D would be interested in hitting on some strange guy on the internet? They don't even know one another's real names. Resigning himself to the fact that he's apparently not charming enough in text to spark that kind of interest, he types out his reply. Well, as I said, I'm not offended. You'll just have to forgive me if I don't flirt back. It's yet another skill I've never mastered. Well, I'm here if you need to practice. Jesus, see what I mean? It's unstoppable. Forgetting his momentary disappointment, Castiel laughs out loud before replying, I'm not sure if you're a good role model or a bad influence. Who says I can't be both? Fuck. Now that you've given me permission, I can't turn it off. I'm going to go now before I embarrass myself anymore. Castiel chuckles again, shaking his head to himself. Charmed by Dee's embarrassed flirting, and somehow comforted by the fact that he's not the only one who has managed to make himself feel foolish tonight, he's still grinning to himself as he changes out of his flower-coated clothes and collapses onto his blow-up bed. Chapter 4. Mix in eggs one at a time. Head nodding along and hips swaying, so sue him, to ZZ Top on the boombox. Yes, he owns an honest-to-God boombox, thanks to a yard sale two summers ago that was basically an early 90s time capsule. Dean carefully measures out the ingredients for the buttercream frosting he'll use to decorate the cooling orange-vanilla cupcakes on the countertop. According to Missouri, a lot of professional bakers use food scales to get more accurate measurements, but Dean has to make do with his mom's old dinged-up metal measuring cups, and honestly, he wouldn't change that bit. He never feels closer to his mom than when he's using these battered old tin cups. He can almost remember the feel of her hands over his as she taught him how to scoop and level each cup of flour. He's halfway through his fourth week of baking classes, and this week's theme is butter. Tuesday's lesson was all about the importance of butter in baking, and Missouri had told them at the end of the class that on Thursday they'd be learning about the six types of buttercream frosting. They'll only be preparing one, though, Swiss meringue buttercream, since apparently it's the kind used most frequently in professional baking. Sugar measured out, granulated, not powdered like the icing he learned how to make under the careful guidance of Mary Winchester, Dean adds his egg whites and begins whisking the ingredients together by hand as a pan of water comes to simmer on the stovetop. Dean hadn't even known there were that many kinds of buttercream, though at least now he understands why they'd spent an entire class last week on meringue. He had grown up making what was apparently American buttercream with his mom, and like most Americans with most things, 
he had obliviously assumed that that was the only kind. Apparently, not only is American buttercream far from the only buttercream, it's also far from the best. There's an irony there Dean tries not to think about too hard. Bad. Bad. He sings quietly as he sets the entire glass mixing bowl on top of the pan. He continues to whisk the eggs and sugar together until the sticky mixture thins out and starts to froth. Since he's never made Swiss meringue buttercream before, Dean figured a little practice before tomorrow's class couldn't hurt. He just wants to get a feel for the recipe so he can focus fully on Missouri's lesson tomorrow, he tells himself. That's all. The only reason. This has absolutely nothing to do with wanting to impress a certain blue-eyed baking disaster. Though it is hard to imagine disappointing the guy when he keeps shooting Dean odd looks during every class, as if Dean's some kind of legitimate baker, and not just a line cook with what some, like his father, would consider a far too feminine side hobby. Plugging in his trusty hand mixer, Dean smiles to himself as he recalls Cass's expression when he tried Dean's cheese souffle last week. Okay, maybe getting Cass to make those sounds again is another reason Dean's spending his only day off practicing his buttercream skills. There's nothing wrong with enjoying someone appreciating his baking, after all. In class, he'd use a stand mixer to whip up the meringue for his souffle, but those are way out of Dean's price range right now. Maybe he'll start keeping an eye out for a second-hand one once the spring yard sales start up. When he's able to dip his finger into the hot liquid without it coming away with a grainy sugar feel, Dean takes the bowl off the steaming pan and transfers the meringue base into a larger bowl. Using the whisk attachment for his hand mixer, he cradles his mixing bowl in one arm, dancing around the kitchen while he mixes the meringue with the other. Every girl's crazy about a sharp-dressed man. Dean belts out loud and off-tune as he turns, the frilly pink apron Sam bought him as a gag gift flaring out around his hips. Joke's on Sam because Dean looks fucking killer in his apron. As he spins, because full-grown men definitely do not twirl around the kitchen, his thoughts wander back to his classmate. Cass himself has continued to be hilariously hopeless in the kitchen, even with Dean's attempts to help. His pastry cream hadn't turned out too bad for their second class, though it was a bit grainy, and the pétachou for his eclairs came out pretty flat again. His miniature souffles during week two had all fallen in the oven, though, and Dean would rather not think about the meringue incident. Cass hadn't seemed to understand why Dean started calling him Souffle Girl at the end of that week, which was a bit of a disappointment. He supposes not everyone can be as big of a pop culture nerd as he is, though. Well, except for maybe CJ. In addition to Doctor Who, they'd covered zombie flicks and the great Star Wars versus Star Trek debate, with Dean landing firmly on the wars side, and CJ stubbornly maintaining that Trek is both far more scientifically accurate and has a much tighter plot line. He was less than impressed with Dean's counter-argument of, but Han. Surprisingly, though, their most heated debate so far had been Spike versus Angel. Dean's always had a soft spot for the soulless vampire who finds himself falling in love with a human. But CJ had argued passionately 
That angel is the deeper character. Tormented by his human emotions and his struggle to overcome the wrongs of his past and do right by the person he loves the most. Plus, David Borneas, an argument Dean couldn't really refute. That intense angel stare is really something. It turns out CJ is a huge Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan. The dude even listens to a podcast about the show, Buffering the Vampire Slayer, which somehow doesn't surprise Dean at all. His friend seems exactly like the kind of nerd who would search out and listen to podcasts about TV shows that have been off-air for more than a decade. He smiles fondly as he switches arms and continues whipping up his meringue. Yeah, he really needs that stand mixer. When it comes to Doctor Who, he knows that Ten is CJ's doctor, though Dean is always favored Eleven. The way Matt Smith can go from goofy, lovable dork to stone-cold, means-justifying badass is beyond impressive. They'd actually had that conversation the night before the souffle class. He bet CJ would have found his souffle girl joke hilarious, but for some reason, Dean has been hesitant to tell him about his baking class. Meringue finally, blessedly for Dean's tired arms, forming the stiff peaks that lets him know it's ready. Dean sets the bowl back on the counter, and trades the whisk for his regular beaters before dropping in one tablespoon-sized chunk of butter at a time, mixing in between. It's not that he doesn't think C.J. would be supportive. Far from it. Dean's just a little embarrassed that his big change is taking a beginner-level baking course. Plus, he's not even sure he's going to actually do anything with his new skills after finishing the class. At the end of the day, he's still just a line cook, Except now he's a line cook who can describe the greasy spoon entrees he serves up with fancy French words. Plus, there's Cass. It's hard for Dean to talk about baking class without thinking about Cass. And for some reason, the thought of talking to CJ about Cass makes him feel uncomfortably guilty. He knows it's stupid, because it's not like he actually has a shot at anything with either guy. CJ has clearly described them as friends and even politely bowed out of his chance to flirt back with Dean. And though Dean wondered at first about the way Cass looks at him sometimes, the man hasn't given even the most subtle of indications that he'd like to see Dean outside of class. Still, though, it feels like a dick move to flirt with CJ one minute, and then gush about the cute boy in class the next. So Dean keeps his teenage crush to himself and waits for it to pass. Once all the butter is mixed in, he adds the vanilla and salt and gives it a final go with the mixer. Dipping in a clean finger, Dean takes a taste of his freshly made Swiss meringue buttercream and groans appreciatively. Though American buttercream is definitely sweeter, he agrees with Missouri that the Swiss version is creamier and smoother. It's got a denser, more luxurious texture than the light, grainy, and super-sweet icing that he's more accustomed to. He also realizes that this is the difference between the icing on grocery store cakes he's familiar with from childhood birthday parties and the higher-end wedding cakes he's tasted as an adult. He's suddenly extra grateful to CJ for unintentionally convincing him to take this class. He would never have stood a chance at turning his baking into something profitable without this new knowledge. In fact, 
as he uses his newly purchased piping bag to layer, slightly wobbly, swirls of icing on top of each cupcake. Dean thinks maybe he should start looking into other baking courses their community college offers. He's pretty sure there's a follow-up to this one specifically on cakes and cake decorating. Cupcakes iced, Dean leaves them to sit on the countertop as he cleans up the kitchen. Being a clean-as-you-go kind of cook, the mess isn't too bad, and it's not long before he's drying the last mixing bowl by hand, a dishwasher being one of the many modern creature comforts his dad's old trailer lacks. That's fine, though. Dean actually finds the process of hand-washing dishes soothing. Plus, it's another activity he used to share with his mom. He's enjoyed sharing it with Cass at the end of each baking class. There's a casual intimacy in washing dishes together that Dean has missed. Reaching up to stow the mixing bowl away in the cabinet next to the sink, he spies a rubber spatula that somehow missed his kitchen once over. Dean turns, picking up the icing-covered kitchen utensil, only to find himself staring at an equally icing-covered kitten. Son of a bitch! White icing paw prints cover Dean's countertop, matching paw-shaped depressions in several of his freshly iced cupcakes. Dean's stringless Omaha hoodie hanging askew from one of the stools on the other side of the peninsula countertop tells the story of how the kitten climbed her way to confectionery conquest. Over the past few weeks, she's become increasingly playful, if playful is the right word for a goddamn destructive domestic terrorist who thrives on causing chaos and making Dean's life more difficult in a thousand tiny ways. In addition to her sneak attacks, which still manage to scare the hell out of Dean every damn time, she's also taken to climbing everything she can find. It's a good thing his sofa was already a second-hand piece of crap. Knocking things off of end tables and stealing and hiding whatever of Dean's belongings are small enough for her to carry. Fortunately, her hiding spots are fairly predictable. Dean's gotten used to searching under the couch for his keys and sunglasses. Of course, the first time this happened, and he couldn't find said sunglasses, driving to work with the sun reflecting off their fresh, mid-March snowfall had nearly blinded him. He'd carefully relocated the pictures of Sam and their parents, a happy one from well before his mom got sick, from a living room end table to the top of his dresser, which had been one of the few places in the trailer the kitten seemed unable to reach, along with kitchen table and countertops. Until now. Dean glares at the sugar-coated kitten, still gripping the spatula in one of the hands currently fisted on his hips. The kitten tilts her head in response, blue eyes meeting Dean's calmly, a blob of buttercream coating one ear. She has significantly more white markings across her orange fur than she did before, and one unfortunate cupcake lies crumbled on its side, clearly the victim of a kitten pouncing. Despite himself, Dean finds his lips fighting to twitch upward in a grin. He manages to stave it off until the kitten lets out a sudden, adorable sneeze. Dropping his arms, Dean chuckles as he sets down the spatula and dampens a clean dishcloth to begin round two of kitchen cleanup, beginning with de-icing the kitten before she can eat too much of the buttercream, which can't be good for her. She's been fully weaned for a couple of weeks now, 
but Dean remembers C.J. telling him quite clearly how bad dairy is for cats. In fact, he should probably check in with C.J. in a minute, just to make sure she's really okay. All right, all right, come here, Cupcake. He coos as he picks her up. Dean freezes. Crap. Did he just name the kitten? He can't have named the kitten. Sure, he'd taken in an abandoned kitten for the night. Who wouldn't? He would have had to have been a monster to let the poor little thing freeze to death. And of course, he'd let the kitten stay when he learned that dropping her at the shelter before she was weaned was practically a death sentence. See? Not a monster. It was by necessity that he had bought her a litter box and a cat bed, matching food and water dishes, a scratching post, and half the cat toys purrs and paws had to offer. That just made sense. Most of that stuff was meant to keep the little orange asshole, <laughs> first time he'd said that about someone not holding a political office, from destroying his house. And if she ended up ignoring the cat bed completely, in favor of curling up on Dean's bed behind his knee or in the crook of his neck, well, that really couldn't be helped. She was going to jump up there as soon as he was asleep anyway. He might as well just let them both get comfortable from the get-go. And maybe he'd been procrastinating on taking her to the shelter since she weaned onto solid food. But hey, he didn't want her going to just anyone. With the kind of limited resources CJ said the shelter has, they probably can't be too choosy about who they let adopt. He figured when the time was right, he'd let CJ and his cat rescue buddies find a good home for her. Despite all of the above, however, there was one thing Dean hadn't done. One thing he refused to do. He hadn't given the kitten a name. Names are permanent. Names imply belonging. Dean sighs. Shit. He's named the kitten. Pulling out his phone, he opens a message to CJ. It looks like Cupcake the Kitten is here to stay. Castiel wipes floury hands on his apron, frowning down at the pate brise that is already falling apart before he's even gotten it rolled out and into the pan. Glancing to his right, he can see Dean's perfectly smooth dough stretching thinner and thinner as muscled forearms methodically press the rolling pin over it, spreading the dough into a smooth, even circle that will fold neatly into the waiting glass pie plate. The steady movements are somewhat hypnotizing. This is obviously a recipe Dean is familiar with, even if he'd never called it by this name before. His impish green eyes had been positively sparkling last week when Missouri had reminded them which dish came next on their agenda, though he'd snorted at the fancy French moniker. You don't approve? Cass had asked, quirking a small grin at his kitchen mate. He's grown both accustomed to and quite fond of Dean's general disdain for the same fancy baking talk. He claimed he took this class to learn. You don't need to fancy up pie, Cass, Dean had explained. Part of what makes pie so good is its simplicity. Just wait until you try my salted caramel apple. Castiel had arched an eyebrow. That doesn't sound simple to me, Dean. 
besides isn't our recipe for plain apple pie. Where are you going to get the caramel? I'll make it, Dean had answered with a shrug. Homemade caramel ain't no big thing. Just some sugar and heavy cream. We have plenty of sugar here, and I'll bring my own cream. Is that allowed? Castiel had asked curiously. What can I say, Cass? I'm a rebel. Dean's answering wink had nearly brought him to his knees, despite his determination not to let himself become enamored with the gorgeous man. With each passing week, Castiel had become more and more certain that he must have Dean. Well, that the sweet bean must have Dean, in an entirely professional capacity, of course. After today, there are only two classes left. If he's going to make Dean a job offer, he'd better do it soon. They still keep most of their conversations focused on their baking, rarely diverging into anything personal. But by this point, they've talked enough for Castiel to know that Dean's currently working as a line cook at Harvell's Roadhouse, a popular local restaurant that Castiel knows of, but hasn't visited personally. Dean's described it as a real hole-in-the-wall kind of place, but he said it so fondly that Castiel thinks it must be a compliment. For today's class, Dean had done exactly as he said he would, bringing his own unopened container of heavy cream. While waiting for their freshly mixed pie dough to chill enough for rolling, according to both Missouri and Dean, keeping the butter in the dough from melting completely is essential to ending up with a crust that's flaky and not tough. Dean had completely ignored the recipe the rest of the class was following to make the apple pie filling for their pies, instead following one that he clearly knows by heart. In the amount of time it had taken Cass to stumble through his own recipe, Dean had made not only apple filling, but a homemade salted caramel sauce that smelled divine. The wafting smell of caramel had attracted attention from several neighboring stations and from the instructor herself, who had raised an eyebrow at Dean's minor rebellion before tasting his caramel sauce and pie filling and widening both eyes in wonder. Now that's a dish worthy of a fancy pants French name, she'd commented with a pointed look that set Dean flushing prettily from his eyebrows to the neckline of his black t-shirt. Castiel isn't even sure how Missouri had heard their earlier conversation but she at least looks more amused than irritated at the slight. I certainly hope you're planning to join me for more classes, sugar, she'd said warmly to the still-blushing Dean. Talent like this deserves to be nurtured. Looking again at his hopeless crust, Castiel also recalls Missouri's warning that, like several of the other recipes they learned in this class, pate brise can be deceptively tricky, despite appearing fairly straightforward on paper. He's not sure what he's done, but while Dean's dough is thin and sleek-looking, his own is thick, uneven, and keeps cracking when he tries to roll it out. He lets out a perturbed huff and hears an answering chuckle next to him. He looks sideways at his kitchen mate, lifting an eyebrow in question. You're using too much flour, Dean says in reply, without taking the eyes off the dough that he's now carefully setting into the pie tin. Glancing down at the small piles of flour dotting his workstation and covering his hands and apron, Castiel thinks there's a good chance Dean is right. But when I use less flour, it was sticking to the rolling pin. He pouts. 
Crust now trimmed, Dean glances up at Castiel and quirks a grin. Because you use too much water. Castiel lets out another frustrated huff, and Dean chuckles fondly as his talented fingers make quick work of pinching the outer edges of the crust into an impressively even fluted design. If Castiel isn't careful, he's going to develop a hand kink from watching Dean in the kitchen. Hell, who's kidding? That ship has probably already sailed. His newly established kink waving bon voyage from the observation deck. After placing his prepped crust into the refrigerator to chill again, Dean joins him back at the counter and does what he can to help Castiel save his very sad pie crust. They do eventually get enough of it smoothed out to press into the pan, but they can both already tell that, once again, they'll probably only be sampling from Dean's finished dish. Behind you, he murmurs, placing a hand on Dean's shoulder to stop the man from backing up into him as he moves to place his somewhat salvaged crust into the refrigerator. Dean freezes in place, the two of them incredibly close, and Castiel is suddenly incredibly aware of how firm Dean's biceps are under the thin jersey fabric of his t-shirt. He snatches his hand away as if burned, flushing when he realizes he's left a flowery handprint on Dean's black shirt sleeve. Seeing his embarrassed look, Dean glances down at his shoulder, and then looks back up at Castiel with a grin as he turns sideways to let him pass. Don't worry about it. Occupational hazard. Or, well, hobby hazard, I suppose. Realizing this could be the opening he's been waiting for, Castiel tries to sound casual as he closes the refrigerator door and turns back to face Dean. You don't get to bake anything at the roadhouse, then? Nah, Dean answers, his attention focused on their double oven as he sets each one to the correct temperature. Now they have about twenty minutes to kill as they wait for their ovens to preheat and their crusts to chill before they need to roll out the top halves of their pie crusts. Dean turns and leans his back against the countertop, his body a long, lean line of casual muscle encased in cotton and denim, the fitted apron he's wearing making him look no less appealing. Dean somehow manages to look as if he belongs equally in the kitchen or behind the wheel of some sexed-up muscle car. Castiel blinks as his friend Dee's profile picture pops into his head, a sleek black beast of a car that just screams sex on wheels. He wonders for a moment if that car's owner is even half as sexy as the man standing across from him, and then feels immediately guilty. That's unfortunate. Castiel tries to sound sympathetic as he mentally berates himself. What does it matter what D looks like? For one thing, they're friends, and friends who barely know one another, despite D's casual flirting. Though they've had hours of online conversations by this point, when it comes to real-life details, all Castiel knows is that D works at a bar, is taking a class so hopefully he won't always work there, and is apparently a car guy, judging by the profile picture and Twitter handle. With such little information to go on, it's no wonder his brain keeps intermixing D with Dean, who is currently the other most interesting thing in Castiel's life. The name similarity doesn't help either, though he knows that Dean hates to have his name shortened that way.
still, though, Castiel finds himself reminded of his online friend frequently while talking with Dean in class. Dean will say something that reminds him of something Dee said, or a joke Dee made, or just something Dee would think was funny. During their class a few weeks ago, for instance, Dean had started telling Castiel about his favorite cupcake recipe as they made buttercream icing, and Castiel was immediately reminded of his conversation with Dee the night before, in which he learned that not only had Dee decided to keep the kitten, which was no surprise to Castiel by that point, but had decided to call her Cupcake, for reasons he refused to disclose. Or the souffle class before that, when Dean had called him Souffle Girl, the day after he and Dee had discussed their doctors. He'd been so shocked by the timing of the joke, and the fact that Dean apparently knew Doctor Who, that the moment had passed before he could even begin to formulate an appropriate response. Cass isn't stupid, of course. He knows what it means when you think about someone so frequently that even the most minor, seemingly unrelated things bring them almost immediately to mind. When those memories bring with them a tingling warmth in your chest, and seeing their name pop up on your phone sends a thrill of excitement down your spine. Clearly, he's developing a crush on his mystery friend, which wouldn't be so bad, he supposes, if he weren't also developing a crush on his classmate-slash-would-be employee. Dealing with one hopeless crush is difficult enough. How is one supposed to deal with two? Ellen's dessert menu is pretty limited, mostly sundaes and milkshakes. Dean explains further. People really come there for the burgers and the beers. Most are too stuffed by the end of their meal to order dessert, so baked goods would just go to waste. Ice cream keeps longer. So what are your plans after this class, then? Castiel asks curiously. Dean shrugs. I don't know. Keep working at the roadhouse, I guess. Maybe take those other classes Missouri mentioned, if I can afford them. Might need to save up a little first. Hmm. Castiel hums noncommittally. My brother, the one who owns the coffee shop I manage, also owns Sweet Scoops ice cream. He thought about bringing ice cream into the coffee shop for similar reasons. Plus, of course, because neither of us can bake. Unfortunately, though, you can't really get away with having a coffee shop without some kind of baked goods. Dean grins. And that's why you're here, right? Ostensibly, yes, Castiel grimaces. But you can see how well that plan is turning out. I had hoped to learn to at least passably bake a couple of coffee shop staples. Croissants, scones, and the like. But it turns out those are all more complicated than I anticipated, especially the scones. Dude, don't remind me about the scones. Dean says with a mock shudder, and Castiel flicks a stray chunk of pie dough at him from the countertop. Waggling his eyebrows at Castiel's glare, Dean goes on. You know, it's good to have a few coffee shop standards on hand every day, like blueberry muffins or cranberry orange scones, things everyone likes. But you should also have a couple of specialty items, something that people can only get at your shop, you know? Plus, rotating in some seasonal items will help keep people interested. Some people might have the willpower to resist something they know they can order any time, but if they know it's only available for a limited time, they'll be more likely to indulge. Castiel hums again. Yes, 
We do that with our lattes and specialty drinks. I hadn't thought about doing the same with our baked offerings. He tries to look nonchalant as he asks, What would you put on the menu then? Crossing his arms thoughtfully, Dean considers, Well, like I said, a couple of basic scones and muffins are a given. Croissants, too, though I might do plain croissants and rotate in a specialty option like chocolate chip or cheddar. In addition to that, we'll be heading into summer soon, so I'd focused on something fruity, like maybe a mixed berry tart or a peach streusel muffin. Castiel blinks. Dean just came up with all of that? On the spot? Come work for me. He blurts, and Dean startles. What? Come work for me. At the coffee shop. Castiel adds, as if Dean would think there were some other business Castiel might want to hire him for. Are you serious? Completely. The sweet bean needs a baker if it's going to survive, and you've seen how hopeless I am in the kitchen. Cass, that's flattering and all, but I'm not really a baker. I'm just some guy who bakes pies and cupcakes out of his crappy, outdated kitchen. I think it's pretty clear that whatever you are, you're more of a baker than I am, Dean. Castiel insists. Besides, plenty of bakers get their starts baking out of their own kitchens. In fact, this is probably counterproductive to my goal of hiring you, but there's really no reason you couldn't sell your baked goods right out of your home. Dean quirks a half-grin and huffs a laugh, looking as if he's remembering an inside joke. <laughs> yeah, my uh, roommate situation really isn't conducive to that. Plus, I don't really have the equipment I'd need to make enough product to turn a profit. All the more reason to come work for me. I mean, us. Castiel amends quickly. We probably couldn't pay you any more than you're making at the roadhouse, he says apologetically. But you'd have full access to our industrial kitchen, and you'd be welcome to run your own baking business out of it and use your contributions to our pastry case as free advertising. And of course, we'd pay for you to continue taking classes here. Castiel definitely hasn't run that last part by Gabriel, but they'll make it work. As Missouri said, talent like Dean's deserves to be nurtured. Plus, while Castiel may not know baking, he does know business, and investing in your employees is key to running a successful one. He holds Dean's eyes, trying to look as earnest and encouraging as he can. Dean bites his lips, his answering gaze hesitant, but looking hopeful, too. The oven beeps, letting them know it's preheated, and they both jump back a step. Dean rubs a nervous hand over the back of his neck, and Castiel feels immediately bad for pushing. You don't need to answer right now, of course, he says hurriedly. Take some time to think about it, and just let me know next week if you'd like to talk about it further. Dean nods. Thanks, Cass, he says softly, before turning to pull their pie crusts out of the refrigerator. They roll out the top halves of their crusts. Castiel's going much more smoothly this time as he remembers to go easy on the flour. Castiel layers his entire crust over top his apple-filled pie plate, carefully pinching the edges together, and cutting slits in the top to release the steam as Missouri demonstrates at the front of the room. Dean, however, seems to need something to do with his hands. He slices his crust into thin strips, expertly weaving them together to form a beautiful lattice crust on top of his caramel-drizzled apples. 
As he turns around from sliding his pie into the heated oven, he meets Castiel's eyes, asking with an air of determined nonchalance, So, where exactly is this coffee shop of yours located? In case I want to check it out. Feeling a strange, fluttery sensation in his chest, Castiel recites the Sweet Bean's address as Dean enters it in his phone. As predicted, they only end up sampling from Dean's apple pie, which is every bit as delicious as promised. But as he dumps his sad attempt at America's favorite dessert in the garbage at the end of class, he finds himself feeling decidedly hopeful. Thank you so much for your support. I can be contacted on Twitter, Tumblr, or at makingitupaswegopod at gmail.com. If you are able, please go to the author's AO3 story and give comments and kudos to them for sharing this with us. The link is in the show notes. This will also be posted on AO3 as a podfic under my username, and the link will be in the show notes as well. As always, thank you so much for listening.